Hello, this is Pastor Trent. I want to welcome you to the Mountain Home Church, the Nazarene Sermon Podcast. We are thrilled that you are tuning in to hear sermons from our ministries here at our church. It is our hope that the Spirit of Christ would be present with you as you listen today. I do want to take just a moment to invite you to reach out and connect with us. On our website, we have a way for you to do just that. You can visit www.mhnazarene.org slash connect and fill out a very brief form. There's a spot to leave contact info, ask questions, and even to request prayer. Also, be sure to indicate that you listen to us through our SoundCloud podcast to let us know where you're listening. May the Lord be with you this day. Grace and peace to you. This morning, we we are continuing on our journey through Mark in year B of the lectionary cycle, the scripture cycles that we follow. Um, Highlights of Mark uh, that we covered last week, as you look into the gospel of Mark, you find unique things that you don't necessarily find in the other three gospels, uh, in in Matthew and in Luke and in John. Um, Likely, uh, we we covered this last week, but likely Mark was the first one written, the first gospel written uh, that we have in our our Bible today. It was definitely, or it was probably used as a source for Matthew and Luke, who who share many of the same stories and kind of put their own twists on a few of those stories, but but largely um, are are similar in nature and similar in style. Sometimes even the order, um, although sometimes those get changed up. It's it's very abrupt and and fast moving. It goes from this place to the next place. Jesus is always moving, not not settled down. Uh, in one spot for for very long, um, and really really uh, highlights that really um, uh, wants to describe how how Jesus is on the move. Um, Jesus is a bit more confrontational in in the book of Mark. Um, and before we get to my text, I, I, did anybody read the whole gospel in one sitting? I said that I would ask several, a couple hands, a couple hands go up. Good. Um, any any thoughts? You didn't expect audience participation. I didn't warn you <laughs> at all. Um, any, any thoughts from, from Mark? It's okay, to, it's okay to have thoughts. It's okay to bring those thoughts when you come to Scripture. Um, and, it's, and it's good. Um, my, my initial thoughts were, I, I was just struck again by the, by the moving of the gospel, the movement of the gospel. Immediately, Jesus went here. Right then, Jesus went this way, or the disciples left from that place. Uh, and moving on, there were, there were a lot more exorcisms, exorcisms per chapter. I don't, I don't know that there's, there's a rate, but Jesus is always curing people who have evil spirits that are, that are troubling them, that are, that are um, tormenting them um, throughout. And then there's that ending of the Gospel of Mark that's just so abrupt and so not what we think we're supposed to be about. We talked about it at Easter, so I can't get into that. But it's just this, boom. The women heard from the guy at the tomb, who wasn't Jesus, wasn't who they expected. And they left, and they said no one to any anyone. Said nothing to anyone. Um, just a crazy ending. On, on the first ending. Now there's a couple of other endings. Um, and if you weren't here for Easter, or you don't know what I'm talking about, look to the end of the Gospel of Mark, and you can, you can figure that out. You can read it for yourself. Um, but if you, didn't, if you didn't get to the read-through of the Gospel of Mark, I encourage you this week, you can go ahead and do it. There's no, there's, there's no loss of credit for late work when we turn to the Bible, right? Better, 
Better late than never. So, um, but today we're turning to the, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6, right at the beginning. Um, so I invite you, whether you have your Bible or maybe an electronic device, uh, to turn to that. We'll also have it on the screen behind me. So out of reverence for the reading of God's Word, would you please stand, those who are willing and able, um, as we read chapter 6, verses 1 through 13. Jesus left that place and came to his hometown. His disciples followed him. On the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue. Many who heard him were surprised. Where did this man get all this? What's this wisdom he's been given? What, what about the powerful acts accomplished through him? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't he Mary's son and the brothers of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? They were repulsed by him. And fell into sin. Jesus said to them, Prophets are honored everywhere except in their hometowns, uh, own hometowns, among their relatives, and in their own households. He was unable to do any miracles there except that he placed his hands on a few sick people and healed them. He was appalled by their disbelief. Then Jesus traveled through the surrounding villages teaching. He called for the twelve and sent them out in pairs. He gave them authority over unclean spirits. He instructed them to take nothing for the journey except a walking stick. No bread, no bags, and no money in their belts. He told them to wear sandals, but not to put on two shirts. He said, whatever house you enter, remain there until you leave that place. If a place doesn't welcome you or listen to you, as you leave, shake the dust off your feet as a witness against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should change their hearts and lives. They cast out many demons, and they anointed many sick people with olive oil and healed them. This is the word of God given to us, the people of God. We say thanks be to God. Please have a seat. So here's a question for you. What's it like going home to the town you grew up in? Have you had this experience? Now, now I know there's some mountain homies here who never left. Okay, so th that's, a unique, that's a unique experience because you're still in the town you grew up in. Okay, I also know there are some of you who were raised in military families and the concept of a hometown is a bit elusive, right? The, that, there's, that there's, there's not really that hometown to go back to. But, but some of us do. Some of us have that hometown. Um, I moved to the city of Ontario, Oregon, when I was one and a half years old or three years old. My parents can't agree. I don't know. I usually listen to my mom on timeline stuff, but, uh, you know, my parents disagreed, um, and I don't think they'll ever agree. Um, they, but, but they stayed there until I graduated high school. Uh, going back, though, to Ontario, Oregon, can be a little disorienting, right? That huge playground that I used to remember to play on. It's kind of small. It's not really as impressive. That, that open field that I used to play in is now covered in apartments, right? Two, three-story apartments. Um, my old house, it's the wrong color. Or, I don't remember that being there. I don't, I don't remember it looking kind of like that. Um, recently, uh, my family went on vacation. We went back to Centralia. Now, Centralia is the hometown for my kids, certainly, um, and, uh, and the one that they'll go back to. Um, and we used to have, uh, right on the main strip, we used to have a Burger King. Well, Burger King is no longer Burger King. Um, and Sunday afternoons, uh, 
we used to go there after, <laughs> after church. We're, we're a large family, and I get to the church fairly early. So my, mom's kind of, or my wife is kind of a single mom on Sunday morning. She has to you know, rally the kids, rally the troops, get them up, get them moving. She's really impressive. But as part of our monthly budget, we just say, since you're a single mom on Sunday mornings, we go out to eat on Sunday afternoons for lunch, just part of our rhythm. We used to go to Burger King a lot. It's like we, we bankrupted them with our business. I mean, I knew we were a large family, but I didn't realize they were depending on us. But Burger King is now a Mexican restaurant. Um, but the hometown is, is always just a little bit disorienting. <clears throat> and I think, I think Jesus experienced a little bit of that in the story today. Jesus went back to Nazareth, um, and things were a little different. It's always important as we turn to Scripture to check the setting, to check the context of, of the passage that we are reading. Um, working sequentially through a book is really nice that way. When we went through Jonah, we went all the way through chapters 1 through chapter 4. Um, and, and there was really a, a sequence that we went to. Now, the lectionary helps us with that because if we had, had been following the lectionary cycle and, and were in it, the week, pri- the week prior to this week is, is the reading from Mark 5. Um, but in Mark 5, um, last week's lectionary text uh, was very different, was very different. Crowds had heard that Jesus was in town, and crowds were interested. Crowds pressed in around Jesus. They wanted to see what this guy was about. They had heard some things. They had heard some things about people getting healed. Uh, and, and two people in very different ways sought out Jesus in Mark chapter 5. First, there's a synagogue ruler named Jairus. Uh, and he had come and came to Jesus and addressed him and, 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 and asked him for help. He said, come, please, quick, to my home. My daughter is very sick. My daughter is dying. And I need your help. Would you come and would you pray for her? Could you offer healing to her? And so they were, on, they were on the way. They were on the way to Jairus' home. Um, Jesus had, had responded to this request and was headed there. And on the way, there was this crowd that was pressing in on Jesus. Um, and, and there was a, a moment in which he stopped and said, No, wait, who touched me? Now, I don't know if you've ever been in a crowd. Um, crowds are a little less popular these days than they used to be. Um, but, but this crowd that had pressed in on Jesus, and his disciples kind of laugh at him. They're like, who touched you? Like, how are we supposed to figure that out? Like, is this a pop quiz or help us out here, Jesus? It says that Jesus was aware he had felt the power that had left him. You see that in this crowd, there was, the, uh, there was, a, there was a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years, nonstop. And, and she thought, if I can just get close enough to Jesus, if I can just get close enough to touch his clothes, the hem of his garment, then maybe, maybe we'll have breakthrough. Maybe I'll be healed. And, and so she did. She pressed through. She touched his clothes. Um, and she touched Jesus. And she, it says that she could feel in her body that she had been healed. Jesus turns and finds her. Finally, she admits. She's like, yeah, I was the, I was the one who had touched you. And, and Jesus' response was this. Your faith has healed you. Your faith has healed you. Then he goes to Jairus' house where, girls, where, where the girl, his daughter, had already been declared dead. In fact, someone had come to him around the crowd when he had had this interchange with the woman and said, 
don't bother the teacher. Your daughter has already died. It says that Jesus took the parents and his disciples into the room and said, young woman, get up. And they fed her and her life was restored. What a different scene in Mark chapter 5. What a different scene than Jesus' hometown, right? There was this excitement, this pressing in around Jesus, this expectant sense of hope and faith that Jesus was able to do something remarkable. It is no accident that the writer of Mark put these two stories side by side. It's no accident that the the gospel writer moves straight from these stories of faith and hope and expectancy to this scene in Nazareth. There's no pressing in in Nazareth. There's no expectation or excitement. Just kind of a kind of a side eye. What is Jesus doing? Just these shifty glances. Don't we know this kid? Don't we know this young man? Clearly, he didn't come back like he was remembered. The Jesus who came back to Nazareth that day did not enter the town like the one that left. He rolled into town with disciples, with people following him, with people so interested in what he had to say and the lessons that he was teaching that they had committed their lives to following Jesus. And he rolled into town as a rabbi, not as a carpenter. He went to synagogue on the Sabbath and began to teach. Hometowns have a way of remembering our role. He was the carpenter. (laughs) Carpenters don't teach. Carpenters don't go to the synagogue and have the floor. Carpenters don't have disciples. They have apprentices and they work in the shop and they keep their mouths closed at synagogue. And here comes Jesus strolling into town with his squad. Have any of you been brave enough to do high school reunion thing? And several people love that. Other people are like, yeah, I'm not sure. That's my scene. You have some of the same effect at high school reunion. People who show up to high school reunions are not the same people who left at graduation day. True story? Praise the Lord, right? And that's, that's hard to adjust to sometimes. The, clown, the class clown gets a little serious and, and doesn't, doesn't appreciate your stellar joke, right? The, the slacker gets a, a real job and is doing okay. The artist now does taxes for a living, Aren't we glad we aren't exactly the same people who we were when we graduated, when we left high school? Jesus is feeling that effect here as he rolls into Nazareth. He's feeling that ex- the effect. He's not the same. He came to town a different person, came to town as a rabbi with disciples, with followers, with people who were interested in what he had to say, with wisdom and teaching to offer as they gathered in the synagogue with a buzz about these powerful acts that Jesus had done. The people just aren't ready for this change. This is too much. This isn't the Jesus that they know. Where did he get all of this wisdom? And do you know what I see in the text? Sometimes, sometimes I, t- I try to take a step back and I try to visualize uh, what I see depicted in Scripture. 
Do you know what I see in the text? I see a group of people kind of with crossed arms, gathered in synagogue, looking at this Jesus character, kind of, kind of leaning back, kind of super skeptical and aloof. That's what I see. I see these people just not engaged. What does this guy have? Impress me, Jesus. Now's your time. Show us your stuff. Do you hear that tone in the scripture? This sense of when he came back to his hometown and, and gathered, there's all these questions. There's kind of a, okay, show us what you got. Put yourself in that room. Put yourself in that synagogue today. And what do you see? I see a little town that didn't expect very much out of one of its own. Well, I, I don't know this, but, but may, maybe Nazareth was, was a town of pretty low expectations. Or, or, or maybe this shift from carpenter to rabbi was just too drastic. It was just too much to really bite off and chew. Like, really? The carpenter has this wisdom? The carpenter is doing these miraculous things? <laughs> There's a story in John chapter 1 um, where, where Nathaniel, one of the people who was called to be Jesus' disciples, what, what, he, he has this comment about Nazareth. Okay? Philip had come and said, come, come meet Jesus. He's, he's teaching these amazing things. And do you know what Nathaniel says? He says, can anything good come from Nazareth? Right? Like, every place you go has these, these smaller towns that the towns like to pick on around them, right? Um, can anything good come from Nazareth? Was this the attitude towards the town of Nazareth? Was this the attitude that, that even the people of Nazareth maybe even started to believe? How could this guy, who worked with his hands, worked in the dirty shop, come back to town and have this wisdom? Had the people started to believe it a little bit? More shocking and, and literally more frightening is the effect. The effect that these people had. Scripture says this, he was unable. Jesus was unable to do any miracles there, just a few healings. I'm a little shocked by this. God couldn't. God was not able. Jesus was unable. What did Jesus do the previous chapter? Raised the girl from the dead. Took her by the hand and said, little girl, get up. He had just healed a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. And it says Jesus was unable. And that Jesus was appalled by their lack of faith. I'm convicted by this church. I'm convicted by this. It comes deep to the heart of who we are as followers of Christ. What do you expect God to do? What do you expect God to do? Jairus came with hope and urgency saying, teacher, would you please come? If you come, you'll make the difference. 
Come and pray for my daughter. Come and heal my daughter. And he saw his dead daughter raised. This woman pushed through the crowd, not for time, not for attention, not to be the center of of anything. She wanted to touch his clothes and slip quietly away. That's how much faith she had. Jesus turned, looked her in the eye and said, your faith has healed you. What power? The Lord knows that we need that power today. Doesn't the world need some healing? Doesn't the world need some resurrection, some new life, some new hope today? I say it does. I think it does. Let me be clear. I don't, I don't think our faith is our ticket to manipulating God. Don't get me wrong here. It's not like if you have enough faith, God will do anything you want God to do. If we have enough faith or pray just right, pray just the right prayer, believe hard enough, we can force a result. That's not good theology. That's not good teaching. Don't believe that. Don't believe that even in your mind. It takes you to a difficult place. That's not faith. How many times have we prayed against cancer? Pleaded with God for healing. God, give us one more year. God, help us find a way around this trial, this illness, this obstacle. And it didn't come. Don't let this text make you think that there's something wrong with your prayer or something wrong for the way that you asked. You didn't do it wrong. I remember several years ago over my mom's hospital bed when the doctor came in and said, the infection's gone, but your body just isn't taking in food anymore. So we can feed you, but that will all your life will ever be. That will be all that your life ever is. And how I prayed, how I prayed in those days as we stood vigil, it wasn't the wrong prayer. It's not that we didn't have enough faith. But this text makes it clear that we participate with God in what God is doing because the people of Nazareth were so aloof and so skeptical and so checked out and so over this former carpenter who thought he could do some pretty flashy things. This is Jesus was unable to move, unable to work in there. There's something that suggests that it's not all dependent upon Jesus. Which is a really weird thing to say at church on Sunday morning. It's not all dependent upon Jesus that we have a role to play in the work that God wants to do in Nazareth. The people had a role to play. Do you get what that says? that our faith and our hope and our expectation have a role to play in what God wants to do in Mountain Hall. Our hope and our faith and our expectation have a role to play in what God wants to do in this place, in this town, in our state and in our world. I don't know if that gets you excited. I don't know if that terrifies you. (laughs) A little bit of both for me. 
we have a role to play in the work that God wants to do, even the miraculous work that God wants to do in our lives, in the lives of our friends and family and our communities and our neighbors and the world in which we live. That's a big deal. That's a big deal, church. We're involved. We have a role to play. We have a part to play. Not that God is dependent upon us, but it says Jesus was unable to do. It, it, it implies that there were things that Jesus wanted to do for these people and couldn't. <laughs> true, true to mark and form, we kind of have this abrupt ending and Jesus takes off. And there for, there, he was there for six verses in his hometown. It was a six-verse stay. And then he leaves and travels from village to village and town to town. And then what does he do? He sends off the twelve. After this super high moment, raising the dead, the healing of, of a chronic illness, to this super low point in Nazareth where he says, I, I'm just not able to do anything here. <laughs> and then he tells his disciples, now you go try. <laughs> go do it. I'll send you off two by two. Go have fun. He gives them power over, over demons. Power to heal. Power to, to represent Christ in the places that they go. And I think there's a serious connection here. Results aren't guaranteed. Look what Jesus was able to do in one moment and then what he was unable to do in the next. And he says, so now go. We've had the highs and we've had the lows, now go. And here's your instructions. Be fully dependent on God. Don't take all the supplies you think you'll need. Just, just depend on me. Be fully dependent upon the hospitality you encounter while you're away. And see, while you're there, not only will you pray for freedom from evil spirits and heal people, but preach this message of a transformed life. Cast out many demons. They anointed many six people. So they went out and proclaimed that people should change their hearts and lives. Live a transformed life. Become new. Set all things free. You're part of this new creation that God wants for you, that Jesus brings there will be these moments of extraordinary high. There will be these moments of extraordinary low. But now go. Go and be faithful to the calling that I've placed on your life. I'm, I'm, I'm convicted here in that, that when God is unable to work and God is unable to move, it says Jesus moved on moved on to the other towns and villages. I don't want to be a part. I don't want to be a part of a place where God's unable to do things because we lack the expectation. We lack the faith. We lack the hope. We lack that anticipation. I want to be part of a place that sets Jesus free to do the work that Jesus wants to do. Amen? Amen. May we be that kind of place in our town and in our world. I'm going to invite the praise team to come on up as I close tonight or today. The, the simple, the convicting question stemming from this passage for me is this. Where, where do I see myself in this passage? Are you pressing into Jesus, wanting, hoping, expecting that transformation? I think that's where Jairus was. 
I think that's where the woman was who, who just wanted to touch his clothes. Lord, may we expect that transformation that only he can bring. Ready to clutch at the edge of his clothing. To sacrifice just to get near, knowing that the proximity of Christ is enough at times to change us. That's what worship is for me sometimes, singing. As I sing worship songs, I, I have this sense that it's a chance to draw close to Christ. As I listen to the words and process what I'm singing, as the melody and the, and the harmonies draw me close to the throne room, I want to press close to Christ, to just touch the edge of his clothes, that it might be changed that it might be healed, that just being in the proximity of Christ will make a difference. Sometimes I find myself in a Nazareth synagogue <laughs> saying, oh, I know how this goes. Here's this carpenter guy. He's supposed to work with his hands. He, he can't, I don't know, what's his source? He got this off the internet. 21st century we say oh yeah I go to church I give a little bit here and there I go to class maybe I do my time I do what's expected of me the message to me today when I find myself in that spot is that is not the life of power that is not the life of power that Jesus wants for us it's not the life of transformation that's not how we become new in Christ. It says Jesus is unable to perform miracles, unable to do the work of transformation in that context. Not because Jesus didn't want to, not because it didn't need to happen, not because it wasn't the good and right thing to do, but because of their disbelief. Problem in this text is this posture, this aloofness. Jesus and the disciples' response to it is classic. They move on. They say, we have other, other things to do, other people to see, other places to see God's transformation take root and take hold. We don't have time for this. How awful for the people of Nazareth to have had that chance and to miss that. Let's not miss the chance to get involved and see God work in our midst. Let's lean in and trust that God has beautiful, amazing, miraculous things for us in our future. Let's press through the crowd like the woman who was bleeding just to touch the edge of his clothes. And let's see what God does in our midst. Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you for the chance to be your people. Thank you for the chance to, to come into your house and call upon your name. And I pray today that you would set us free from sometimes what our tendency is, maybe to respond a little bit like Nazareth. Set free our expectations. Fill us with hope. Fill us with expectation this day that you something new and beautiful and transformative for us in our lives. 
And may we participate with you in what you wish to do. We pray in Christ's name. all excited when I think about a church pressing into God with expectation and hope and faith that God is going to move and we won't miss it. We declare we're not going to miss the movement of God. We're going to participate and be part of that. Amen? Amen. I invite you to stand today and extend your hands as you're willing and able to receive uh, the benediction uh, this morning. Dear God, set our hearts and minds in a posture of anticipation and expectation toward you. May we not hinder the work you are doing, but may we set you free to do what you long to do in our midst. Amen? Amen. Go in the love of Christ. Thanks for joining us today on the Mountain Home Church of the Nazarene podcast. Don't forget to visit us at mhnazarene.org connect if you'd like to connect with us and have a great week.